Welcome, Adam. Lovely to see you again. And now you're a VC. Gee, um, tell me what um, prompted you to make that move. Um, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, I've been uh, sitting in the intersection of bank transformation and working with startups for about eight years. Um, previous to joining Point72 Ventures, I was uh, leading digital and fintech strategy and partnerships at Chase. And so uh, I was evaluating a lot of companies as it related to becoming partners and vendors of Chase. Um, I kind of felt like a VC. I was trying to make bets and, and, and pick the best companies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually got to meet some of the partners who I work with now, Point72, who used to work at, at J.P. Morgan Chase and got the opportunity to join the uh, investing world, where I'm now doing actually a similar job, uh, trying to pick winners and uh, also work with some of the best fintech startups there are. Fabulous. Well, congratulations. I'm sure you'll be a great VC. So tell me, what do you guys invest in at Point72? Uh, at Point72 Ventures, um, the fintech team is investing globally, um, and we are generally more investing in early stage uh, fintech companies. So that can be anywhere from seed up through Series B. Um, and uh, we're investing in all sorts of companies. We uh, think that we're differentiated by bringing a financial services expertise to the market. Right. Um, and at the same time, we've built a really large bank network that we leverage um, for all sorts of things from due diligence to understanding the market uh, to uh, then helping our companies grow. Um, and we've uh, created an entire value creation effort post-investment where we work with uh, our companies on business development introductions, on our go-to-market strategy, and on product and product development. So we're really bringing sort of the best of what a corporate investor might do as a bank that really has that subject matter expertise in financial services yeah. with the fast moving of a, of a West Coast VC together uh, and uh, going after this opportunity in fintech. And so do you find that the big banks are uh, open to working with some of your portfolio companies? Uh, yeah, in fact, a lot of our portfolio companies are specifically selling into banks. Um, so we found that there is just a, a a massive urge for banks to transform digitally, and that's everything from the customer experience to the back office. Everything is changing, mm -hmm. legacy technology is moving out, and a lot of the best solutions are coming from startups. Uh, we're, uh, we've invested in a lot of those startups that are selling into banks, and uh, whether it's the largest tier one banks, the regionals and super regionals, even down to the small banks and, and credit unions, um, and, and local banks, everyone is looking for new solutions, especially in the customer experience space. That's so cool and so reassuring. <laughs> um, and so tell me, what do you think this 2020 is going to bring as far as the big investments? Already we've had some major sales, um, Visa buying played, and um, I, I heard that Intuit's buying Credit Karma today. So what else? Yeah, I think uh, we might be seeing the start of a wave of incumbents who are acquiring fintech startups. I think everybody has in some ways been waiting for that to happen. And yeah. it's nice to see that it's both on the direct to consumer side with names like Credit Karma, but then also on the infrastructure side with names like Plaid. Yeah. Um, so I, I look at uh, the other interesting one is Lending Club actually buying a bank, oh, yes. right? Yes. So acquiring a bank charter. Yes. Uh, yes. So those three represent just some pretty interesting moves in the acquisition space. Yeah. Um, from an investment perspective, again, I think digital transformation across the banking and financial services e ecosystem continues. And um, there are plenty of startups that are looking to power the incumbents, um, maybe not uh, be acquired by them because they are software and technology companies, but certainly sell 
uh, sell their software to those companies. There's also an, another trend where you see um, essentially non-financial institutions launching financial services products. So either launching payment products or launching bank accounts uh, or launching uh, investing services. Um, and so we see that there's this rebundling of financial services products, both with the fintechs that used to be doing one thing that now want to own the full customer relationship, yeah. and even with companies like, let's say, T-Mobile launching their own digital bank. Uh, so getting really? into financial services. They, yeah, they launched that um, in this past year. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, my God, because I got SIM swap last year on T-Mobile twice in, within two weeks, and w within 10 days. I mean, oh, my God, they had to do such a lousy job of, like, protecting their customers, you know. And one of my panellists also got SIM swapped over in New York so with T-Mobile. And I'm like, they've got a bank? <laughs> I can't believe it. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, that sounds like incredible. And also Varo Money, um, they actually are officially now from the FDIC as a bank, um, which is pretty amazing. And they were on our panel last week. So, um, yeah. yeah, like really exciting stuff seems to be happening at the beginning of this year. So I'm hoping that that's just going to continue. And really great to hear that you're investing. I'm sure your expertise will really um, support fantastic fintech startups. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the things I really loved doing when I was at Chase was working with startups and founders, uh, helping them to refine their message, helping them to understand what banks want and how to talk to banks. And, and now um, I get to do that with our portfolio companies and with the founders that we're looking to invest in. So it's been a, a very nice transition for me and uh, also learning a lot about the investing process, the due diligence process, everything that goes on at the board level. So uh, really exciting transition for me as well. Great. Fantastic. Well, congratulations again, and thanks for coming tonight. Thank you. Okay. Chris, so lovely to meet you. Thanks so much for coming tonight. I um, was wondering if you could tell me a bit about Proof of Capital and what you guys invest in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris McCann. I'm one of the managing partners of Proof of Capital. Uh, we're a new venture capital fund, almost about a year old, uh, mostly focused on the infrastructure layers across many different industries. I particularly probably spend the most of my time on the fintech and fintech infrastructure side of things. Um, but in terms of the fund, we do both seed and Series A investments. And then before this, I used to work at a much bigger fund called Greylock Partners, which you and your viewers might be familiar yes, with. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, what do you personally like to invest in? You said more on the infrastructure. Do you want to clarify that? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, as I mentioned, more, more on the fintech and fintech infrastructure side. So particularly interested in things that um, we're starting to see a lot of these, call it like developer platforms, uh, APIs, infrastructure as a service, actually start to bleed into the fintech side as well. So think like banking as a service, lending as a service, uh, uh, services around uh, um, AML, KYC, financial crimes, sort of all the tangential things around this. Because as more and more fintech applications actually appear and start, um, they're all going to need all these underlying services as well. So mm -hmm. I've been spending a lot of time in that market and recently wrote a post too. If you search Chris McCann fintech infrastructure, you okay. should be able to find it. Okay. Thank you. Um, and so um, it's been such an exciting start to 2020 uh, in the fintech domain. And I wondered what your um, view is on what the big investments are going to be this year. Yeah, I guess maybe to tie into some of the, the infrastructure related stuff is I actually think one of the the sort of next biggest, most important customer segments for banks is surprisingly enough actually going to be developers. So banks are typically used to either dealing with retail customers or SMB businesses. 
But now what you're seeing is more and more, you're seeing developers not just want access to like the data of the bank, they actually want access to the functionality of the bank. So like I want to be able to embed a, a account creation, like a checking account opening in my app. I want to be able to issue cards to my customers. All these are developer functions. So you're seeing this like new customer or partner class emerge, developers, um, which is why like we pay, or at least I pay so much attention to uh, all the API infrastructure services because that is a, a very new net customer class. Oh, interesting. And um, I know that you um, had an investment in Lightning there um, when they um, got um, the gig with Visa. Yep. Um, and so I was wondering what your perspective is on what's happening in the blockchain crypto world. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if Elizabeth and the Lightning Lab team, which I have a lot of respect, would necessarily 100% agree with me on this. But I actually see Lightning as more of the same thing like I was mentioning. I actually see it as fintech infrastructure. Um, it just so happens to be that the underlying asset that they're using is Bitcoin. Uh, but all the uh, applications that they're enabling on top, uh, micropayments, um, you're now starting to see a lot of Lightning apps that merge both fiat accounts in with Lightning payments as well. Um, so uh, 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 out, of, out of many of the things in the space, Lightning actually has a, a really, really good developer community, which that was like the main thing that actually attracted us to the company. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, uh, just, just generally speaking, uh, do you see an upturn coming? Uh, everyone's got their, their all, all their perspectives. Um, my sense is I'm not really sure what's happening because I'm not a developer or an investor, but um, I've been supportive of uh, Bitcoin since 2008. Um, in Ireland, uh, we had the huge crash and every every thing went down and everyone went bankrupt. Yep. And the whole of Ireland had to take... Um, pay cuts, everyone, mm. <laughs> while they propped up the banks. So um, I, I figured this was obviously going to be a, a better alternative. And I still feel like it's going to be, end up being the new normal. But obviously, it jumped the chasm. And now it's sort of um, settled a bit because people got burnt. What's your perspective on what's happening? With yeah. And I guess if you're referring to like Bitcoin or crypto sort of assets specifically, at least in my head, I'm a little skeptical of a lot of the call it like generalized apps and um, like smart contract platforms. Like I wrote about a lot of the stuff, even when like the sector was super hot, I was a little bit skeptical about it. But at least to me, Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin is the most clear. It's an uncorrelated asset. Um, and again, maybe that might be a niche thing in terms of number of people. But when you think about that, almost just think like digital gold, yeah. um, like that's actually a pretty big and just in terms of market value. Um, and if there's one thing that like Bitcoin is actually like very fundamentally proven, like it very much is an uncorrelated asset. Um, coronavirus is up, uh, Bitcoin goes up, coronavirus is down, Bitcoin does whatever. It doesn't really follow anything. It doesn't really follow the markets or debt or anything. It just sort of does whatever it does. Yeah. Um, so at least to me, it makes total sense as a, as a portion of somebody's portfolio. In terms of a lot of the other things, like to be seen on, on a lot of that stuff, but Bitcoin as an asset class like makes a lot of sense, at least to me. And the blockchain, do you see that as a, a, a strong point as far as um, more stuff going to be happening on the blockchain? Everyone seems to be keen on it. Yeah, uh, I guess when you when you talk about the blockchain, maybe like two broad yes. generalizations. So um, sort of one blockchain for enterprise, uh, more uh, um, sort of permission type stuff. Um, for most of these, like I actually just treat them more as um, enterprise financial services. Okay. Um, like the the blockchain is just like the technology that they're using, yes. but in terms of the 
go to market and customers and everything else. Like it should just be almost treated just as a normal company. And then you have, I guess, more of the speculative stuff of people using smart contracts and decentralized finance and a lot of people building more things on top of that to be seen more on the user side of how much usage these things have. A lot of it is very intellectually super interesting and there's a lot of stuff going on in the space. Um, but again, at least to date, it's been sort of a little niche still, yes. um, but um, very much worth paying attention to from a sort of innovation standpoint. We will pay attention then. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks so much for coming tonight. I'm sure it's going to be a great panel. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the panel. And thanks, thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much, David, for coming tonight. So lovely to see you. My pleasure. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what you guys are, are investing in in the fintech domain at the moment. Sure. Uh, fintech is a very exciting area these days. And we or have an expansive uh, definition. So we include property tech and insurance tech and even some uh, domains that are more cybersecurity but related to financial instruments and institutions. So I'm um, just start off with them. Um, there's some fascinating new fintech opportunities that are unlocking through financial engineering frozen assets. Mm -hmm. And to give an example, most Americans' largest asset is their home. And so their home is a nice asset that you can use when you retire or want to sell and the kids move away and you want to downsize. But until then, that asset is frozen. Your money's just stuck there. So we've invested in a marvelous company called Easy Knock, based in New York, that does a sale leaseback for residential property wow. for the first time ever. Wow. And it hasn't really been done properly because people didn't figure out all the steps that were required to make it work. And I won't go into all the details, but suffice to say, it gives the consumer incredible flexibility because they can then buy the house back, they can sell it into the market, or they can stay as a renter in the home that they used to own, but it was just too much burden for them financially. So it gives them really flexibility. And we're seeing other things in companies that we haven't invested in that, again, offer the real estate um, frozen asset or lumpy assets a way to be more flexible. So this is where I think technology comes to bear. The technology <clears throat> that we're seeing applied to fintech most importantly today is a combination of artificial intelligence, both machine learning, which is kind of the more basic style, and then even we're moving into deep learning, which is a more sophisticated um, uh, model uh, for algorithm creation. And then that's combined almost necessarily with big data. And we live in an era when data is being unlocked and uncovered and discovered and sensed at a rate never before seen by humans. But it was too much to analyze without AI. Right. So you need the combination. And then the new devices, of course, of smartphones and so on, liberate it to be delivered at scale to small businesses and to consumers. Because most of financial institutions benefited and governments benefited and wealthy uh, individuals benefited from fintech innovations in the past 50 years. But in the past 10 years, we're starting to see it now spread to everybody. Mm. And it's very exciting to see in developing countries the leapfrogging yes. uh, that goes on where they didn't have much of anything. And now they have sometimes more sophisticated systems than we do because it's all new and it's all mobile and uh, et cetera. Other issues. Um, the regulatory environment has lightened up noticeably right. uh, in recent years. And that's very positive yes. because we get more innovation. The, the thing that is underplayed and un misunderstood is that the proponents of regulation come on 
the scene and, and appeal to our heartstrings saying, oh, this is going to help the little person. And most often in my experience, this is just one person speaking, yes. the regulations are used to protect the incumbents, protect the powerful. Because who has the yes. power at the table to yes. regulate? It's the most powerful. So the deregulation effect is ironically liberating to help the under folks achieve new uh, paradigms and new Pareto optimality, yes. which is doing the best with the condition, which the circumstances present. Yes. <clears throat> That's positive. I'm a big believer that the economy is going to continue to grow for the next few years. Right. I'm not seeing a recession anywhere. I can certainly be wrong. I'm not an economic prognosticator, but I just think that the animal spirits of the U.S. entrepreneur and the global entrepreneur and the consumer are pushing things forward in a very sustainable manner. In other words, we're not seeing the crazy risk, um, risk shifting behavior that led to the mortgage crisis. Right. When you know, people were buying houses like crazy, but the sh risk was being foisted onto the American taxpayer unbeknownst to everybody. So I don't see a lot of that building up, except perhaps in the um, student loan portfolio. That's an area of risk, yeah. I think, going forward. Um, <clears throat> but more broadly, we've done some surveys at Bloomberg Capital recently, and we found some very interesting statistics that the American consumer is, for the first time now, more confident about um, the privacy situation and artificial intelligence, and they see artificial intelligence as a way forward to help improve their security, improve their financial well-being, to deliver them services that do more for less, more efficiently, um, and that's good news. Yeah. Because we don't want the consumer to be a burden and, and, and cost of customer acquisition rise to heights that makes it unfeasible for um, startups to compete. We want startups to have an easy on-ramp uh, to move forward because that's how we spur innovation. And then we've seen a lot of M&A activity, mergers and acquisitions, where the startups are starting to get the attention of the corporate um, giants. And that's good news, too. Yeah. Not everybody's destined for an IPO, yeah. and a lot of the products can be tuck-ins to the suite of offerings by existing major financial institutions who bring credibility and they bring capital and they bring regulatory. They benefits, yeah. Exactly right. <clears throat> the, um, very interesting, in the venture capital world recently, last two years, we've seen more corporate investors and more mega funds coming in than ever before. And they have inflated the prices, I will say, at the higher rounds, C's and D's and E round. Um, and to some degree in the IPO world. But in the early stage, they can't really play terribly well there. But they're looking for those ideas. So as Lumber Capital and other early stage investors and angels find the startups, then we, as we grow them, then there's a receptive audience with big deep pockets to invest in the later rounds. And that's uh, also a good thing because the world needs more innovation. It needs to be well-funded. FinTech is more capital intensive than some other areas. Partly because of the paperwork, the regulatory issue, sometimes balance sheet uh, issue, issues uh, come to fore. But again, one more thing that I'm starting to see. In our lending portfolio, we're starting to see a marvelous drop in rates that our lenders charge our companies who are on lending into various segments. Um, I can mention companies like Fundbox, which does um, artificial intelligence-based underwriting and lending to SMBs, small businesses. Mm -hmm. And by doing it automatically, they lower the cost, they use big data to make their determinations, and they can uh, lend and do a sort of a 
cash advance style uh, transaction for small businesses that keep them um, with cash flow management um, in the pink. Wow. And that's nice. Yeah. <clears throat> and the debt prices that they're facing from their lenders is declining as they see the book um, pay off without losses so and they start to see the returns cohort over cohort year by year uh, getting better and better in terms of quality. We're seeing it with EasyKnock um, that I mentioned in the sale lease back for residential. Um, and the biggest firms in the, in the financial world are now backing these companies in terms of um, buying the book and doing the balance sheet, uh, the off balance sheet lending. So that's fantastic. Um, what else can I say? I think cybersecurity is an unsolved problem and it continues because cyber is very unusual. It's an unusual industry because in most industries there are just vendors and customers. But in cyber, there's a third party that's malevolent, the hackers, and they're always out to destroy both sides. Mm -hmm. They're, in the old days, they used to be uh, sort of just interested in um, hacking and, uh, what do you call it, um, graffiti, that kind of thing. Uh, what's it called? Um, there's a term for basically just not malevolent in terms of money theft, but they just wanted to cause problems. Destroy stuff. <laughs> yeah, they just want to mess things up. But now you have real people stealing big amounts of money, and then you have the nation state actors. So you have three types of, um, of, of hackers. And <clears throat> ransomware, theft, fraud, <laughs> you name it. Yeah. Why did Willie Sutton rob banks? That's yeah. where the money is today. The money is online, so the money is being stolen uh, online. And interesting, the consumer has been fairly protected because we have in the United States things like FDIC, yes. the Federal Depository Insurance Corporation, which protects losses for consumers. And then the credit card companies essentially play an insurance role too. Um, if you've ever had a credit card stolen, I have, mm -hmm. and I've had it used by bad guys, I didn't suffer the loss because the credit card company or the bank backstopped it and covered it. And I think that's most consumers experience again in the US. So, you know, I do think that things like ransomware are going to start to pop their evil heads up further. Um, I was thinking at a hotel the other night, and I won't say where, but um, they had been subject to ransomware, they'd blocked all their systems, they couldn't function. And then uh, the UK had a terrible system uh, failure like that a while ago where there was a virus that blocked all of the UK National Health Service scheduling a couple years ago. So it's an unsolved problem and I don't think it will be solved. Um, we invest in a lot in cybersecurity and it is a job number one for many fintech companies to think that they should never be hacked. Yeah. It's always hard to, to, to um, keep your guard up, but there are better and better tools available. It's just that, <laughs> again, Usually you're, you're trying to get customers and satisfy them. And now with cyber attacks, there's a third vector coming always from behind your back. Another challenge. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Look, David, that's a fantastic overview. Thank you so much. You've certainly enlightened me and hopefully uh, the audience. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here on this panel uh, to enlighten us again. Well, Pima, you're a terrific organizer and event uh, coordinator in the Silicon Valley. We couldn't do it without you. You bring together very interesting groups, both of the speakers and then more importantly to me is the audience. And they're an informed audience. They ask good questions. They bring good deal flow to us. Um, and so please keep doing it. Thank you. Um, and guess what? There's so many 
venture capitalists in the audience tonight, all these different venture firms. I mean, I do attract that in my, but not as many as tonight. This is the biggest number. So isn't that interesting? They're coming all to hear you say what's the best deals. <laughs> well, we, we shall see. I, I like to have it very interactive. So maybe we'll yeah. do a, a Q&A and yeah. learn, learn from the audience as much as we yeah. share. I've certainly been telling everyone, ask the questions of the investors. So we'll see what happens. Thanks again, David. Always gorgeous to see you. Thank, Thank you. you. Oh, welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for coming. And thanks so much for covering Venema. And he's off in Mexico. <laughs> um, lovely to meet you. Would you tell me a little bit about Omar's Ventures and uh, what you invest in? Sure. Uh, so Omer's Ventures is the venture arm of Omer's, which is a pension plan for municipality workers based in Ontario. Okay. And we are a multi-stage venture fund, so we focus on series A, B, and C. Okay. And um, what sort of investments do you like to invest in? Uh, we take a thematic approach to investing. So certain sectors that I'm focused on right now would be uh, prop tech. So anything to do with real estate, residential, as well as commercial. And then I also spend time looking at health tech investments as well. Fantastic. And what do you think this year has started off with quite a bang for the fintech world with acquisitions and um, um, startups have become banks and things like that. What do you think are going to be the big investments this year to watch out for in fintech? Uh, specifically in the real estate space, which yep. uh, where I've been spending most of my time, yep. uh, we are really excited about anything around the real estate transaction. So that could be anything around enabling people to access the asset class. So this could be new ownership models, as well as anything that increases liquidity in the space as well. So people who already own a home, who are able to move around and sell it to match their lifestyle. Right. And uh, have you seen any startups in these domains already? Um, we're already into the end of February. Uh, yeah, there's a few. So there's three main buckets when you think of uh, alternative financing uh, in the real estate space. Because uh, as you know, uh, millennials are kind of the next wave of home buyers, and it's harder than ever to access and afford homes today. Right. So there's certain models. There's three main ones around enabling you to get more capital okay. to enter the market, and that could be rent-to-own models. There's co-investing and down payment assistance is the second one. And then the third bucket is anything that can help you unlock equity, so take cash out of your home when you own it. That so is. we're excited about all of those. And uh, yes, it's much um, a good cause as well to uh, facilitate people getting their own home. And um, we got evicted um, in 2018 in Palo Alto from oh. a big old um, hotel called the President Hotel, which is quite famous in University Avenue. Um, and an investment firm bought it and it's going to make it into a luxury hotel, even though they won't allow, the city won't allow them. So we all got evicted, a hundred of us. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it really um, hit me that oh, I've never owned a home. And, you know, I mean, you wouldn't be evicted from your own home, hopefully. <laughs> so. Exactly. And I think uh, these different types of ownership models where traditionally you're on the cap table of your home with a lender, I think there's different models out there that are challenging that traditional ownership model to help right. people get into homes quicker. Right, right. And you're based in San Francisco, correct? Uh, yeah, our office is in Palo Alto. Okay. Uh, so Omer's Ventures has offices in Toronto, London, and we launched our Palo Alto office last year. Oh, fabulous. Okay, so you're nice and close to me. <laughs> well, lovely to meet you, and thanks so much for coming to the panel. I'm sure it's going to be really interesting. Thanks for having me. Okay.